Welcome to the SaaS Sales Performance Podcast, the show for anyone wanting to be on the cutting edge of SaaS tech sales. We provide the tools you need to take advantage of the rapidly changing sales environment. We bring you the leading experts on the front lines of SaaS sales and distill down our famous masterclasses into bite-sized practical tips. Your hosts will be Ash Ali and Matt Milligan. And on this podcast, we'll be helping you transform your ability to sell more so you can smash your targets. Hey everyone, and welcome to the 18th episode of our SaaS Expert interview series. I'm Jamie Slevin, and the following is an extract from my conversation with Simon Severino. Simon is the CEO and founder of Strategy Sprints, delivering specialty upscaling coaching to businesses. Simon is a real growth expert, and we were lucky enough to have him go through his tried and tested methods for transforming your business top-down. So without further ado, here is Simon Severino. Simon, hey man, how's it going? Hey Jamie, hey everybody. Listen, thanks for being here. It's so cool to have you on. I've been looking forward to this one for ages and there is so much I want to pick your brains on. So I'm going to jump straight in. Let's go. So say I'm a SaaS business owner and you know nothing about me apart from that I'm the typical average median case and I'm wanting to scale. What's likely to be the bottleneck? What's likely to be holding me back if say I'm comparable to most cases? Yeah, there is one thing that is probably holding you back right now, and that's yourself. It's the time limit. Everybody has only 24 hours. So we become, as a founder of anything, actually, we are the passionate initiator. We start something. We are the best at it. We code. We build. We improve. We even sell sometimes. If we are a solo founder, we do both product and sales. If we are two, we divide the work. But at some point, and this is somewhere between year one and year three, for some around year five, we become the bottleneck. We are the main growth blockage, the main obstacle. I remember my first year hitting quite a good revenue number, but feeling really miserable. I hired my business coach and he said, Simon, you cannot do more of this. This is not scalable. And I was like, what do you mean? Look, look at the numbers. Yeah, they're wonderful, but you have not one minute more to dedicate to this. And if you dedicate one minute more, how much happier are you going to be? So you are the bottleneck. Simon, you have to fire yourself. Simon, you have to get two levels above fulfillment. And I was like, what is fulfillment? Yeah, it's the client work. You are doing the work. You have to get out of the work. What? It's my baby. Me out of the work? What? Are you kidding? I love this. Yeah, you can still love it. And because you love it, you will be working on the business instead of just in the business. The whole business needs love, not just the product, not the features. The business is now your baby. You have to make time to work on the business. And so we analyzed how I was spending my time We found some time wasters, and this has changed the whole trajectory. Today, we are a business in every single time zone of the planet. At that time, I was just one person coaching entrepreneurs. Is there something to be said for that being, you know, we as founders, and a SaaS business is no different to any other kind of business. It's our passion project, and we sort of buy the idea that the more time we spend putting in improving customer service, working on the product, the better. And then you hit your revenue targets and you're thinking, hang on, I'm doing everything I should be doing. And I'm hitting the revenue targets I'm supposed to be hitting. And shit, I'm miserable. 
that must have been a bit of a mindset change when you realized that actually you had to take yourself out. Yeah, it's good to start with that. But you get at a point where you have to go from growth to scaling. And this is really where it starts to be fun to run a business because the growth part is not fun at all. It's just grinding. You can tell yourself, yeah, I like the grind. Okay, you can make it a little bit more fun, like using buttons like I do, all right? And then it becomes a little bit more fun. But really the fun of running a business is really when you start scaling it. So in order to do that, in month one of the Strategy Sprints coaching method, in month one, we get the founders out of the weeds. We start systemizing their business, simplifying and systemizing so that they have now six to 12 hours more per week. And these six to 12 hours per week, we start curating the business. So we work on the business of their business, refining the business model, making it more scalable, competitive analysis, finding a different edge, improving the pricing, improving the sales time, improving who is doing what, refining the vision, refining the culture, hiring, firing, performance management. These are the things we do in month two. And in terms of specific insights for SaaS businesses, what comes out when you work with businesses here that wouldn't come up in other industries? What are the specific challenges in SaaS? First month, time freed up. If you are still doing either product or sales, you are the bottleneck. You have 24 hours. If you're doing SaaS or if you're doing anything else, it's 24 hours. That's the first bottleneck to solve. As soon as you have time to work on the business, now we go into CRM because CRM is where everything comes together. How many people today want something from you? How many people today want actually to be called? So maybe we should add their phone number in that form on that page. The whole user journey, this is what we do in month two, optimizing every single part of the user journey. That's why in month one, we have to simplify the user journey. We call it the value ladder. And we start creating one simple main way. So where do they come in? These four channels. What happens next? How do we bring them from slightly engaged to highly engaged? How do we move the conversation further? How do we show them that we are the right one to continue their conversation and to solve their problems? Now, what happens? How do they move into the cart? What happens if they abandon the cart? What do we write? What is the cadence? How fast do we react? Do we send an automated email? Do we send a personalized email? Do we call them? This depends if you're a B2B or a B2C SaaS. But this funnel, this is the important thing. How do you design the relationship? What happens when they buy? How can you make the first 10 days of their experience with you a wow experience? What can you create which is surprising, personal and amazing that they weren't expecting so that they go from being a user or a customer to being a super fan? And then how do you create conditions for them to stick around? The specific thing of SaaS is the churn rate. How do you reduce the churn rate per cohort or per quarter? How do you reduce that churn rate to have it at a low percentage and to make that percentage every month 
go lower and lower. So they came for something, but they stay for the community for something else. What is the something else? Yeah, I like that detail because I think in SaaS, we get very single-minded about new growth and new leads and lead production and closing. And we maybe don't think as much about getting people to stick around and lowering churn rates. Because of course, the formula for revenue involves all of it. There's a number of variables. You spoke about the wow factor there in the first 10 days. Is there anything you recommend for SaaS companies to make that first day particularly special? Yes, invent something new. This is really important. Whatever other people are doing, right? I see dozens of cool ideas every week, but I do not tell them others because it's really important that if you really want to wow somebody, that you create something new. So I can tell you what some people are doing right now, but don't just go and copy it. See where my finger is pointing and continue that creative thinking. Don't look at the finger. Don't copy my finger. Otherwise, you are like the others. But for example, one client right now, when somebody signs up, they have a cycle of 30 days where they will have an intense onboarding experience. So first email goes out and it says, all right, this is what's going to happen in the next 30 days. This is intense. And then two days later, they get physically to their home a package. And in that package, it says, this is a three days spa bonus for your whole family. So they have researched how many kids they have, if they have kids, etc. They have researched where they live, which kind of cool spa they can find near their home. And they have reserved a three days wonderful experience. And it says, look, we have reserved in 30 days, you will go for three days with your whole family to this spa resort, because in the next 30 days, this is going to be intense. You're going to need this and you will have deserved this. So let's go, which is a pretty cool thing to do. It's surprising. It's personal. You see that they really care. And also they frame you to really enjoy the next 30 days. You can tell these 30 days are going to be painful and intense, but it's like if you go weightlifting, you know it will be painful, but you want that. You embrace that as part of the muscle growth, right? So you are reframing things. You are making it wow. They will tell their friends and they become their marketing department. This is one example of how you can make it a wow experience first 10 days. Yeah, I love that. Also, I love the detail about setting expectations because what you're doing effectively by offering a spar at the end is saying, bear with the next 30 days. It's going to be painful at times, but look what you get at the end. It's a really interesting thing. And this is one of the things that I like when you get your user to have skin in the game. It's not just, hey, I'm going to deliver something for you. We are in this together. We are a team now. You have signed up for my product. We are a team now. We are now committed to your success. Day and night, we will make sure that you solve that problem, avoid that cost, decrease that XYZ or increase your XYZ. We are a team now. We will not sleep until we make it happen. And we both have skin in the game. So you will intensely work on something. We will make sure you have everything you need and remove all the obstacles for you. That's a nice way to relate from brand to user. Yeah, and it's a great way of reducing churn 
because it's not just will provide so much value that you can't leave. It's you've just put 30 days into this, right? And you've got a spa weekend. So you're reluctant now you've got skin in the game to swap us out. The sunk costs have just increased. And now it's worth you investing in this relationship. In this world, like there are customers who are ideal and turn up with expectations that are aligned with yours and are happy to have skin in the game. And there's customers who are totally unideal. And this is a great little detail to get people to become more ideal customers. Because as soon as you've got skin in the game, well, now you're happy to find solutions and have this relationship be more two-sided than you might otherwise. It's a really interesting detail. Do you find that businesses you scale or work with you when you're scaling them to generally speaking be product-led or sales-led in their approach? Both. It's really different. And it's also changing in terms of what it means. So when founders found at the very beginning, if you're a solo founder, you have to make time for product and for sales in one day. So if you're a solo founder like I am, you have to say, okay, in the morning I'm building, in the, in the afternoon I'm selling. If you are two people, you have to say, okay, who does product, who does sales? The next thing, how can we create an atmosphere of curiosity about this? Like with this example of the spa, what you have installed is, oh, they surprised me one time. What will happen next? What happens in month two? I'm curious. I'm intrigued. I'm with you on this journey. So that's the next thing. Both product and sales need to install now curiosity. For example, I am investor in some companies and I am curious about what they do. Also, when I buy something as a consumer, I pick the brands. We all have choices, right? So I pick the brand to buy something from and I am absolutely curious. Like now, I'm curious about Tesla. What's next? What is Anonymous going to do? How will they react? What's the Bitcoin round saying? I am also curious about Bitcoin, what will happen there? Will El Salvador really embrace it or will they pull back? So see the whole picture and make them part of the journey. It's really important to be vulnerable, to be open. Look, guys, this is our mission. We want to make this transition from A to B with you. We are the guides here and we are also on our journey. This is where we are today. This is what we want to accomplish next quarter. This is where we want to be at the end of this year. That's our journey. The more openly you communicate that, and that is something that we are working on with SaaS companies because they're usually very engineering, very tech savvy, but they don't like marketing and sales. And for good reasons, because they think it's tactics and it's stuff that nobody wants. And it's true, if you just put a tactic on something like the scarcity tactic or whatever stupid tactics you put on something, that's not going to work. People hate this. It's about the journey. How can you connect, show that you have skin in the game, but you can also lose. So it's a journey, but you have committed yourself to this mission and you are showing progress every week, every month, as often as you can. That's why email is really important. Video is really important. We usually have to convince SaaS people to create more videos, to send more emails. And they go, ah, I don't like that, Simon. But then they see how we do it. We send every day an email and we share a lot about our journey. This is where we are. This is what we've learned. This is what we have fucked up. This is what's next. We are going to try to build that and we are going to ship this in two weeks. You can be part of this by clicking there. 
you create a whole atmosphere of, hey, we are in this together and you will find the people who are interested in that mission, they will stick around, they love it, they will tell their friends. And that will be your marketing. So it's a much more organic form of marketing actually than a sales tactic, just dumping scarcity on someone. You're building a narrative that people are interested in. Yeah, that is the philosophy, so how we approach it. Then of course, on top of that, we have a mix, a marketing mix of your own media, paid media, and leveraged media. So we help our clients develop all the three because you want to be diversified enough if one of them, because you know, if you are just strong in Google Ads, Google can change the algorithm and then you have lost a big part. So you need all the three buckets in place and in good health if you want to scale. For growth, it's enough to have two of these buckets, but for scaling, you need all the three buckets, your own media, paid media, and leveraged media. And the coolest part of it is leveraged media because, especially in the first year, you don't have to build a huge infrastructure. Like you are building a podcast and you know how much work this is. It will take years for it to be a sales machine. But you can start in the first year by leveraging infrastructure that other people have already built. So joint ventures, being on podcasts of others, that's what I would do in the first year instead of building your own podcast. Own podcast I would do in year five or 10 when you have a lot of time and budget on your hand and everything is running smoothly and you just want to export your stuff in new countries. But first year, before you hit 35K MRR per month, I would do zero marketing. I would do leveraged media and focus on sales and operations. That's it. Then when you have hit that 35K, then it's about starting marketing activities. Yeah, it's a very interesting idea because I mean, today there's more potential to do leveraged media than basically ever before. I don't know what leveraged marketing would have looked like a hundred years ago. I've got absolutely no idea. Whereas this today, it's as you say, as easy as jumping on somebody else's podcast or bringing on the brand of somebody else and using this massively already existing infrastructure. It's such an interesting point, and it actually just goes to highlight how much marketing must have changed in the last X number of years, which brings me on quite neatly to the next question, which is, how do you see the pandemic having changed business for SaaS companies? Has it changed it significantly? Is there anything that you're doing differently when you're advising these companies? I think the pandemic has accelerated things. It didn't change anything. It has accelerated many things. And we see it with Bitcoin and decentralized finance. We see it on a societal level. We see it on the technological level. And the technological level is that many people are now working from home. And that has changed the level of embracing digital. So... Did it change anything? I don't think so, but it did accelerate for many who were laggards that now embrace fully working from their computer. And so what happened is many of the companies that were around pre-pandemic will not be around post-pandemic. And these are the ones that were not healthy in the first place. They did not have a tribe, a community that really loves them, that is on their journey with them. They were not really creating value, maybe solving some fractional problems, but not some hair on fire problems. And so this one will not be around. So I guess the main thing about the pandemic is 
Will you be around in two years? Will you be here when this is over? The way to do it is really to right now focus on the people you are here to serve, to pick their hair on fire problem first, not the nice features, but really what they need right now, and then to iterate from there. That's why we call it strategy sprints, because it's iterations in sprints of building features around what really gets pulled right now. So you go from traction to building and not building before traction. This is, I think, very relevant right now because you can just not afford anything else. You need to be very tightly working around the customer pains and creating value around that. From there, you'll get more budget and grow and grow and grow. I don't see any other ways. Yeah, it's funny, like in this evolutionary survival race that is being a business person during a pandemic, the two things it sounds like you think are the key to survival are, are you really creating value? And as you say, not a marginal problem, not a nice to have on the fringes, a hair on fire problem. And two is having a community. Presumably a community is the thing that sustains you when other conditions aren't so brilliant and so sustaining. Would you say that those are the two main factors that predict the survival of businesses during difficult times? Yes, value and network effect. And the network is that starts with the community, starts with people who say, hey, this is cool, go get that. So if you are the first person who has a fax machine, what do you do? You call your friend, hey, get a fax, what is it? Don't worry, just get it. Why? I need to send you something. If you see everything that's working right now has a network effect, Facebook, Google, Bitcoin, these are things that work and are unbreakable because of the network effect. Most of the listeners right now, at some point, tried to get out of Facebook, to get out of WhatsApp, because we don't trust it, we don't like it, let's get out of here. And then two weeks later, everybody back in. Why? <laughs> because our kids are there, our family is there, I don't know what my people are doing if I'm not there, so we all went back in. That's the network effect, that's the community. If you create a flywheel around real value, then you are unstoppable. That's why Bitcoin will be there in 10 years because the flywheel is already going on. That's what's the strength of Ethereum right now, the number of developers that are flocking in there and say, I want to contribute, I want to contribute. So even if El Salvador blocks it, there will be a new country popping up after that. And there will be adoption bit by bit. And you see this by looking at the community, how active are there? What do developers do? And these are the foundations. The price goes up and down. That's not really important. Important is the foundational thing. Is this solving a real problem? Yes, monetary system and access to a monetary system. Is this having adoption? Yes, at a rate that you won't find anywhere else. These are the fundamentals. And then on top of that, you do features, product, and telling about it. So if I'm Mr. SaaS businessman and I'm thinking, shit, Simon says I need to create a network effect. How the hell do I create a network effect? If you want to scale, yeah. And how does a network effect start? With exactly these two points that we discussed. First one, make sure you are really solving a problem. Bitcoin solves the problem that we do not have solid money. We have just meme coins. The euro, the pound, the dollar, these are meme coins. They're meme uh, coins. I've never heard the euro, pound, or yeah, dollar be described it, as meme coins. 
these are meme coins. It's a very bad product. No good product builder would ever build something like that. So the first solid monetary system could be built on Bitcoin if we want. So what's the problem? The world does not have sound money. The world does not have access to a monetary system. What's the solution? Bitcoin. That's the first part. The second part is adoption. And adoption starts with three people. Three. And then it's five. And then it's ten. At the beginning, just think of one person per day. So if you are a SaaS startup, think of one person per day. Can you solve this one problem for that one person in a way that they go, wow. You just need one per day. If you do one per day, you will have 1,000, and that's the critical mass, 1,000 according to Kevin Kelly, and I think it's correct. If you get to 1,000 fans, you are safe. You are healthy because that's all the community that you need to have the foundations. 1,000 fans. And to get to 1,000, you just need less than three years if you do one per day. Afterwards, when you have 1,000, you go back and refine the business model, make it more scalable, make it easier to be adopted quicker. And then you have to create the systems that will cope with that rapid exponential growth that comes later. First, one fan per day. Yeah, and systems to facilitate that scaling. But it's a liberating message because when you talk about Facebook or Bitcoin, etc., and those types of network effects, it feels scary and difficult and big to build. But when you're like, nah, one a day, three years, thousand fans, and then you're safe. There's something liberating in there. It's a little bit of a diversion, but I have to ask, what specifically about traditional currencies fail in your mind compared to Bitcoin? Two main things. First, if this was a monetary system, everybody on the world would have access to it. And if you just look at one country as an example, El Salvador, 70% of the people have not access to their monetary system. They are unbanked, 70% unbanked in one country. So that's the first flow of a product. You would never go for a product that 70% of users cannot use. And the second thing, and that's more of a bigger mathematical problem, but it's really like that, is you don't know how much money is in circulation. And so a good product, you know where it is and you know what it's doing. You don't know how much money right now is in circulation. You don't know how much gold right now is in circulation. And this is a mathematical problem, but it's also a societal problem. And it's also what's causing right now the meme coins, mainly the US dollar and the euro, to go down by 2% per month, 15 to 20% per year. They are not executing their main function, which is being a store of value. Because if value goes down 15%, 20%, you are not storing it. You are losing it. Is that not the main problem, though, with Bitcoin? Is that the underlying volatility means that it also fails, perhaps more dramatically, in that store of value function? Bitcoin is not volatile. The price of Bitcoin is volatile. Like every great player at the beginning, it's volatile. If you look at great football player, soccer player, Ronaldo is highly volatile. But that's not the problem in his performance. So the price of Bitcoin is volatile. The function of Bitcoin is stable. It is a store of value. It is limited and it's transparent and it's accessible. It's dynamic. You can move it and you can store value long term without value being lost. 
That is not volatile, the part. The price is volatile, but price is based on emotions, comes and goes. That's not really important. The main function of a product is important. I love this emphasis on kind of just get the foundations right. Don't worry too much about the rest, but if you can build a community, say, or make sure you're adding value, the rest is just taken care of. Simon, before I let you go, I have to ask, I saw you said on another podcast something, and I'm paraphrasing here, to the effect of your business will likely fail even if you have a great solution because technological change is going so fast. And I want to know how SaaS companies can mitigate against that sort of existential risk. Great question. So if you have a great solution, first, you can fail if you don't sell it enough. That's why sales is vital. And second, even if you sell it a lot, there will be technological shifts and they are coming faster and faster. So if you focus on the solution, you are always at risk of becoming substituted by a better solution. If you focus on the problem, this goes back to the fundamentals. If you focus on the problem, you will always have that problem. You will always be the best to understand that problem and to build things for that problem. And the people will stick around with you. For example, let's say you create digital calendars for moms, for moms who have more than three kids. The solution would be the digital calendar. But if you build that, you can imagine every six months, something better will pop up as a technological solution. But if you stick with the problem, every mom of more than three kids will always have time shortage. So if you pick them up at their bus stop, if you fall in love with that problem, I don't have enough time, I need more time, you will always be there. You can build that community. You can create network effects. You can let them coach each other. You can create wonderful things for them. And this problem will always be around. But 15 years later, there will be new technological solutions to this problem. Yeah, so this is sort of, I'm gathering your message increasingly. It's like, don't be attached to the one calendar that you've done up because that's sort of, it's great for now, but it's sort of noise. The problem is always going to remain the same, but that problem might mean you actually need to be delivering food parcels in five years' times, or it might mean you need to be doing ride sharing in 10 years' time. Forget the calendar. The calendar is just a manifestation of a solution for now. So if you're a SaaS company, your advice is stay focused on the problem. Yes, fall in love with the problem of one specific avatar, of one specific target group you are here to serve. And serve, serve, serve them every day. The rest will change. Products, features, technological solutions, prices, all of these things are dynamic. But the eternal thing, the evergreen part is we are here to serve this target group, solve this problem. Like Tesla is here, as an example, to solve the transition from a stupid energy world to a smart energy world. They could stop tomorrow producing cars, no problem. It will be solar panels. They can stop doing solar panels, no problem. They will do tunnels. They will stop doing tunnels, no problem. They can do software. We are with them if we are on this mission. And you build the community around the problem and around the avatar, as opposed to around the piece of software, which makes sense because people aren't emotionally responsive to a calendar. People are emotionally responsive to their issue of, I don't have enough time or the way we use energy sucks. Yeah. So don't fall in love with your features, fall in love with the pain of your users and the benefits that you can bring. Simon, where can everyone find you online? We hang out in a private Facebook group that's called Entrepreneurship in Sprints. But if you say you come from Jamie, I will let you in. 
And we are always at strategiesprints.com. We've been lucky enough to have Simon Severino on the podcast. Simon, thank you so much for coming on and letting me pick your brains. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you, everybody. Have a great day. This has been the SaaS Sales Performance Podcast. And as always, we'll see you next week. So thank you for listening to the SaaS Sales Performance Podcast. At UHubs, we help businesses develop and upskill their teams. To see how you stack up against the industry's best, or to get marketing and sales tips from SaaS experts, check out uhubs.co.uk.